your Bibles this morning, and if you're able to, let's stand for the reading of God's Word. We're in 2 Timothy, <clears throat> 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and uh, we, of course, uh, look forward to what God has for us, and as we continue to study the, the Bible, uh, and, and listen, I don't know about you this morning, <clears throat> if you have a copy of God's Word, hold that up in the air, would you? Hold your Bibles up this morning. Listen, you know what you're holding in your hands today? You're holding the Word of God. And so as we, as we stand this morning for the reading of it, you're, if you're there with me in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and we're going to read these verses together, all right? And so we're in 2 Timothy chapter number 3, and we're going to read verses 14, 15, 16, and 17, all right? So we'll make sure that everybody has a chance to get there. Those that are watching by live stream, we want you to be standing and have your Bible and join in with us just like you are here worshiping the Lord. <clears throat> and so here we go. Let's read this together, beginning in verse number 14. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them, and that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be perfect, truly furnished unto all good works. All right? And so the past couple months... We've been focusing on our theme, which is magnify, and so this month we're going to focus on magnifying the scriptures. All right, let's pray. Lord, thank you for this morning. Pray that you'd bless our time this morning in your word. Lord, we do pray for those that need you in a special way at this time. Bless and help and encourage and instruct this morning from your word, and we ask all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated this morning. Thank you for standing for the reading of God's Word. Now, when I think about the Bible, and of course, I am not setting uh, any other book on the same level as the Bible, but one of the other books that I really like is the book is the, uh, the hymn book. And the hymn book, again, is not an inspired book. It's not something that God has inspired, but we do find that many of the hymns that are in the Bible are, are hymns, songs, spiritual songs that have encouraged us and, and helped us and comforted us along the way. When I think about this subject of the Bible, there is much when you look in the hymn book about the Word of God. For instance, in the hymn book there, and in, in you can look in front of you if you want to grab one or not, uh, number 178, the Bible stands like a rock undaunted. Mid the raging storms of time, its pages burn with the truth eternal, and they glow with a light sublime. The Bible stands like a mountain towering far above the works of men. Its truth by none ever was refuted, and destroy it they never can. The Bible stands, and it will forever. When the world has passed away, by inspiration it has been given all its precepts I will obey. The Bible stands every test we give it, for its author is divine. By grace alone I expect to live it and to prove it and make it mine. 
The Bible stands, though the hills may tumble, it, is, it will firmly stand when the earth shall crumble. I will plant my feet on its firm foundation, for the Bible stands. Of course, you all know, if you flip over there to 187, the B-I-B-L-E, yes, that's the book for me. I stand alone on the Word of God, the B-I-B-L-E, the Bible. Folks, I don't know about you, but I'm excited to have a copy of God's Word. I hope that you are excited. I was telling our men as we've been spending some Tuesdays together on some leadership things, I was telling the guys that this hasn't happened many times in my life, but there have been a few occasions where not on purpose, but I have accidentally dropped my Bible on the ground. When that happens, I don't say anything verbally out loud, but what I usually do is I'll pick it up and I will say, Lord, please forgive me. I love the Bible. I hold the Bible in the highest of regards because of what it is and what it means to me. And this morning, I want to begin this month of June. Now, look, if you know anything about the world's calendar, the world is very proud of its deviant behavior. They are taking this entire month to celebrate their wickedness. Well, we as Christians this month are going to celebrate because we're proud of having a copy of God's Word. We're proud that we have been entrusted with the truth of God's Word. And not only do we have a Bible, but we have a Bible that is perfect in every way. And we want to look at that this morning, and that is what I want you to see is, is as we magnify the Scriptures... What are we doing? We're enlarging the very words of God. As we study, we want to understand what Paul admonished Timothy to do. And here's what he, as we read those words this morning, Paul was encouraging Timothy to make much of the scriptures. And that's what we want to do, is we want to make much of the word of God. We're here today, why? Because we believe the Bible. We believe in the God of the Bible. We believe in the Christ of the Bible. We believe in the salvation that is revealed in the Bible. And we believe all else that is written in the Bible. Everything we believe either stands or falls on the accuracy of the Bible. It is necessary that you and I, that we know what we believe and why we believe what we believe because listen, there is a world out there that does not know the truth. And God has given it to us to share with them. I love the Bible for so many reasons. It is so unique. The Bible is different than any other book. It is superior to other books because it's God's word and not man's. It was written during a period of over 1,500 years. It was also written by over 40 different writers. These writers that God used were kings, they were military leaders, they were peasants, philosophers, fishermen, tax collectors, poets, statesmen, musicians, scholars, and shepherds. They came from every walk of life, but yet God used them as they wrote the scriptures. They, the Bible was written on three different continents, Asia, Africa, and Europe, because of the known world at that time, the Bible was written in three different languages. In the Old Testament, the Hebrew, 
the New Testament, the Greek, and there were parts that were given in Aramaic, which was the common language of the days of Christ. We find that as you study it, that you see that it was written in many different literary styles. The Bible contains prose, it contains poetry, law, history, romance, biography, it contains parables, allegories, and of course, prophecies. It, the Bible addresses hundreds of very difficult issues. Now, there's a lot of things that are going on in the world today. Can I tell you, the best place to go to find out what God thinks is to God's Word. And even though the Bible will deal with hundreds of difficult issues, the Bible never contradicts itself. The Bible has for its main character God Himself, who revealed Himself through His Son, the Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible achieves its uniqueness through a process that process is known as inspiration. Now, when you think of the word inspiration, and by the way, that's a Bible word. We see it there. Uh, go back just to, to that last slide there. And that's verse 16 that you see from our text today. All Scripture is given by what? Inspiration of God. Now, what's unique about that is, is that when you go from one language to another, Oftentimes, it is, uh, there are not words that perfectly correlate one language to another. The ladies were back here, and they were speaking in tongues this morning as I went back there, speaking in Spanish. I, I have never been given that gift. I, I fumble around with it a little bit, and most folks that speak Spanish just laugh at me and smile and things like that. But they were back there talking, and all of a sudden, I heard two words come out, in the middle of their Spanish, and the two words were ping pong. They had watched the announcements, and I heard them say ping pong, and I said, what? And they said, there's no Spanish word for ping pong, it's just ping pong. And I, I got a good laugh out of that. That's just the way it is. Now, when you think about the Bible, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. That means that in the original language, that's just one word. The word is theonoustos. Now, I want you to see this word on this slide because if you know anything about the Word of God, theo, theology, is God. The word there, the second half of that word, is the word neustos. Now, the word neustos is part of the word that actually is the word that deals with the Holy Spirit of God. So, you have God and the word spirited. So, when you think of the Bible, the Bible was God-spirited or God-breathed. Now, here's the thought. If you study in the Bible, here's what you find is, this world, there was no world. How did this world come into existence? God spoke the world into existence. God created this world out of nothing. And so, when we think about God's Word, how did we receive God's Word? God breathed His Word. God spoke his word into existence. We need to understand that as we study it this morning, we're talking about a, a Bible, the words that are God's words that are God-breathed. Now, there are times as a pastor, as a man of God, that I, I, I take this very, very seriously. That I, Some of the men were talking about this the other day, that God used, as you saw, about over 40 different people to write down the words of God. But 
as Paul wrote, those words were not Paul's words, they were the words of God. See, this isn't man's book we're studying this morning that we read on a daily basis. This is God's word. It is God-breathed. It is inspired of God. And if God has given us his word and God has delivered his very breath, it stands to reason that the scriptures that you and I hold in our hands have been, that God has given to us are perfectly inspired. They are absolutely perfect. Would you agree with me this morning? Yeah, so when we think about this, we want to understand, well, how did this come about? What was the process of God's perfect word? Well, what did God use to get his word into the hearts and into the minds of his people? Well, one of the things, as far as the process goes, that God used was God used revelation. Now, I understand that maybe some of this might be newer to you, and that's okay. Some of you, you might be thinking, I learned this a long time ago. Well, listen, the key to learning is repetition. And so this morning, I'm going to define some things that are Bible words that are from the words of God that we need to understand. And one of those is revelation. What is revelation? Revelation is God revealing truth to man that was unknowable, that was previously unknown. For instance, if you think about the writer of the first five books of the Bible, that was Moses. Now, Moses, of course, lived a a life on this earth, but Moses was not there during the days of creation. Well, how could Moses know what to write? Well, God revealed the truth to him. God allowed him to see the things and to write the things that we now call the book of Genesis and Exodus and Leviticus, Numbers, and the book of Deuteronomy. But you also think of the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation. That would be John, John the Beloved. That as John wrote, well, guess what? The the things that Moses wrote had already happened. The things that John wrote They still have not happened, many of them. And so John was writing things that God revealed to him so that he was to write those things down. In other words, God used various means. And and we see this as we study the Word of God, as I go through this list. And it's in no way exhaustive, but you might think to yourself, yep, I, I remember where that's at, or I've read that. I've seen how God's used that, and I love this because God reveals truth, his revelation to us. Well, some of the ways that God reveals truth to us is in the Bible through angels. And you see, as as Jesus, of course, was no longer there at the tomb, that the angels revealed something to man. God used an audible voice to reveal himself to man. God used a still, small voice to reveal himself to man. God has used nature day unto day, the Bible says, and the heavens declare the glory of God. Nature declares that God is real, that God exists. You think about this, God used a donkey to reveal himself to man. God has used a burning bush to reveal himself. God has used dreams and God has used visions to reveal himself To man. The Bible says in 2 Peter, for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. 
So what is revelation? It is God telling man what he, God, wanted man to write. So what you hold in your hands this morning is not what Paul wanted to write and not what David wanted to write. It was what God revealed to them, what God wanted them to write. Now, on a side note, and I love the Bible, there are times in the Bible where God has revealed things to man, revelation, but then God instructed them to not write it down. For instance, in your notes, if you go to the last book of the Bible, the book of Revelation, chapter number 10, in verse number 4, John is there, and the Bible says, And when, I, when the seven thunders had uttered their voices, I was about to write, and I heard a voice from heaven saying unto me, Seal up those things which the seven thunders uttered, and write them what? Not. In other words, God showed John something. He revealed truth to John, but then in this instance, he told John, John, don't write that down. So we don't have that in our Bibles. Why? Because God revealed it, but notice the second part of the process is that what God reveals to us, notice God then uses this matter of inspiration. Well, inspiration is different than revelation because inspiration is the recording of truth that God has given to man. So, look, we have been given God's revelation. What did John do? What did Matthew do? What did Paul do? What did David do? What did Isaiah do? They recorded the truth. They wrote it down. You and I have God's Word today. Inspiration is the recording of truth God has given to man. The scriptures are God-breathed. They are revealed to us, and then they are written down. Do you know when you study the Bible that Paul believed in the inspiration of the scriptures? Notice with me in 1 Corinthians 15. Paul says unto the church in Corinth, For I delivered unto you, first of all, that which I also received. How that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. Paul says, God revealed this to me. God showed this to me and then I wrote it down. He told those in Thessalonica, for this cause also we thank we God without ceasing. Because when you received the word of God, which you heard of us, you received it not as the word of men, but as it is in truth, the word of God which effectually worketh also in you that believe. Did you hear that this morning? Look, it's not my words or man's words that effectually work in you. It is the words of God. It is the truth. Listen, understand this morning that the Bible is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword. God's word. You know what people need to hear today? They need to hear what thus saith the Lord. Not what thus saith Dan Keeley, not what thus saith uh, the church, but they need to hear what God is saying to us. What is he saying to us? He is giving us the truth, the word of God. Paul believed in the inspiration of the scriptures, but do you know that you also see in the Bible that Peter also believed in the inspiration of the word of God. Notice the Bible says in 2 Peter 3, that ye may be mindful of the words which were spoken before the holy prophets 
and of the commandment of us, the apostles of the Lord Jesus Christ, of the Lord and Savior. So look, even Peter and Paul and others believed in the inspiration of the scriptures. Uh, one of the great men of old, uh, Charles Ryrie, look at what he said about inspiration. He said, it is God's superintendence of the human authors so that using their own individual personalities, they composed and recorded without error his revelation to man in the words of the original autographs. So notice that even Ryrie says, look, God gave it, he revealed it, they recorded it, the autographs, without error, without omission. They wrote what God gave to them. Now, how did God inspire the words that were written down? Now, as we study the Bible, here's what we believe. Now, these may be newer words to you, but you'll understand as we get into this, we believe in the verbal plenary inspiration of the Word of God. Say, Pastor, what does all that mean? Well, notice that as we talk about verbal inspiration, we're talking about the very words of God. We believe the very words of God have been inspired. If we go back to our text today, 2 Timothy 3 and verse 16, how much scripture was given by inspiration of God? How much? All. See, we believe that every word is inspired of God. So verbal inspiration is all scripture is given by inspiration of God, and it is profitable. But notice the other word, the word plenary. What does plenary mean? Plenary means that every word, listen to me, every word in the Bible is equally inspired of God. What that means is there is no word that is more inspired than others. For instance, look what Jesus said in Matthew 4, 4. He says, man shall not live by bread alone, but how's man supposed to live? By how many words? Every word which proceedeth out of the mouth of God. <clears throat> so he, listen to me this morning. We believe that as you study the scriptures, that if, if it is all inspired of God, watch me, that when you study the Bible, Psalm 1 is just as inspired as Romans 1. 1 Chronicles chapter 4 is just as inspired as Revelation chapter number 4. That every part of the Bible is as equally inspired. There is no part of the Bible that is more inspired or less inspired than any other part. It is all, all, every word is inspired of God. And God's people said, amen. See, we believe in the verbal, plenary, <coughs> excuse me, we believe that all the very words of the Bible are inspired. God gave his word to human authors. But I think about this, God, as he gave his word, he did not, <coughs> excuse me, override the personalities of those that he allowed to write it. Now, <coughs> I find this interesting, that God could have just given us his word. You think back when Moses went up to receive the Ten Commandments. Did Moses write those commandments? Who wrote those? God did. And God wrote them with what? With his finger in stone. Now try that sometime. God could have given us his word without using individuals. 
But God chose to use human instrumentality. He chose to use vessels. Listen, God's word is perfect, but the people that God chose to use are not. And so we find that people like David and Paul, God used these individuals. Now think about this. When, when you look at those that God did use, does anybody remember what Luke's profession was? He was a physician, a doctor, right? So when you think about Luke, you ever been to a doctor and they write a prescription? Can you ever read it? I mean, doctors are very educated. You know, sometimes they're too educated. But doctors are very educated people. I have studied some of Luke's writing. If you look in the Bible, that would be the gospel according to Luke, and that would be the book of Acts. As you study the original writings, the the language that God gave his word in, when you study Luke's writing because because of his profession, because of his personality, some of it is very difficult to understand takes a little longer. But you also find that there are times where I just try to be a blessing to some people who may be young in the Lord, people who may may be newer in Christ. I want to try to help them on their journey, the beginning of their journey as a Christian. So sometimes what I'll say to them is, listen, you need to be reading your Bible. So I usually will say to them, the best place to start is probably the Gospel of John. Now, does anybody remember what John's profession was? He was a fisherman. Big difference between a doctor and a fisherman. One is a highly educated man, and one is pretty much a common man. It's not to put anybody down, it's just the way it is. So whenever I tell people to go to John's writings, of course, you're talking about the Gospel of John, you're talking about 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, The reason I tell people to go to John's gospel is because 75% of John's writings are in one-syllable words. They're easier to get a hold of. They're easier to understand. Listen, even a baby doesn't start eating steak. They start on milk. But as they grow, they get into some meatier things. But I think it's awesome when you study the Bible that God allowed each one of these individuals to have his word revealed to them, and then they were given the responsibility, the task to write them down. All scripture is given by inspiration. So when Peter and Paul and John and David and Isaiah and others, when they had written all that God gave them in his revelation, they produced a perfectly inspired record of God's words. Are you with me this morning? So we're talking about inspiration. God breathed his word through human authors, through human writers, human vessels. So we find the process of God's perfect word starts with revelation. God reveals truth to them that man could not know. As he reveals it to them, then inspiration is the next part of the process. They write it down and you and I have a copy of it in our hands today. Now listen, do you remember when you had a Bible and you weren't saved? And you read it, but you got nothing out of it. Anybody else like me remember those days? 
Some people probably say, I'm still like that. (laughs) There's parts of the Bible, I'm still that way after being saved now for almost 37 years. But listen, the third part of the process of God's perfect word is illumination. What is illumination? It's different than revelation and inspiration. Illumination is us being able to understand God's word. Well, how do we understand it? By God's Holy Spirit. Notice what Jesus said while he was still on this earth when the disciples were with him. He said, the comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he, the Holy Ghost, shall teach you how many things? All things. And bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. So what does the Holy Spirit do? As we read the Bible, we read God's words, the Holy Spirit helps us to understand. It's almost like when you're reading your Bible, and again, I've been saved for many years now, and I'm reading a passage or a verse or or something, and all of a sudden, watch this, a light goes on. And it's like, whoa, I never saw that before. Well, it's not like somebody just wrote it. It's been there all along. But God, by his Holy Spirit, illumined you, helped you to understand who you are, who I am, and who Jesus is, and our great need of him in our lives. So when I think of the Bible, the perfect word of God, I see that there is a process when it comes to God's word, and that is revelation, inspiration, and illumination. But notice also with me this morning the proofs of God's perfect word, because a lot of times we find people are skeptical. How do I know for sure? I mean, that the Bible is genuinely inspired of God. Well, there are several tests that have been given to God's word to prove whether it is God's perfect word. And can I tell you that every one of these tests, God's word has stood the test. It has passed the test. Notice some of the tests with me this morning is it passes the historical archaeological test. Now, again, we, we'll look at a couple different things, but we'll start here this morning, how God has allowed some discoveries. Let me say that again. God has allowed, do you know that there are some things that God has allowed to be found and some things God will never allow to be found? You know why? Because many times when man finds something, what does man do? Man worships whatever that is. See, they worship that thing instead of the God who created it. Uh, You know, I don't think they're ever going to find the ark. I don't think they're ever going to find the ark of the covenant. I think there are some things that they will never find. The, the, The shroud that Jesus was, was, was wrapped in when he was in the tomb. I don't think there are many things, but listen, I will tell you that there are some things historically, archaeologically, that God has allowed to be discovered, and I wanted to share some of those with you because each one of these and many others will confirm the, the actual nature of the Word of God. But as you think of some of these things that I'll share with you this morning, there is not one single piece of evidence of something that has surfaced that contradicts the Bible uh, on any one point. And here's some of the discoveries. They have actually found, through digging, 
they have found what is known as the Ur of the Chaldees. Uh, this goes back to the days of Abraham. There have been many who have said that the place never existed, but yet God allowed the discovery of the Ur of the Chaldees. There is other things like they found a clay tablet in Yemen that actually confirmed a rich woman who was trying to buy some grain from a man who lived in a land called Egypt whose name was Joseph. Again, goes back to validating the Word of God. I remember when we were in Israel and we had the opportunity to go through a section of what is known as Hezekiah's Tunnel, which was something that was used as a means, a water system for the city of Jerusalem. Again, just proving the Word of God. They have found bricks in Egypt that were bricks that were made without straw. If you go back to, uh, of course, the children of Israel and how they were, the taskmasters wouldn't give them straw to make bricks, and yet they still had to continue to produce in that day. Hey, listen, even the death of Christ, Jesus has been proven to be historically true. It is a fact, and the list goes on and on. When we were in the Holy Land, I remember many days while we were out, we were either see proof of someone that was digging an archaeological dig or they had just dug up something and I remember seeing some of these colleges and universities and organizations that as we were touring the Holy Land and the sites we would see people that had been given permission and rights to be able to dig there and to find things and I remember our tour guide one day uh, I was, somebody made a comment, and here's what he said. He goes, we have a saying here in the Holy Land that if you stick a shovel in the ground anywhere, you're going to find something. And listen, as we begin to dig around in the Word of God, even on a historical, archaeological uh, test, the Bible in every way has proven accurate in every detail. And here's why, because the Bible can be trusted. But another test that the Bible has been put to is the scientific test. Many people uh, mock the Bible. They claim that it's inaccurate in matters of science. <clears throat> but again, what has time done? Time has proven the accuracy of the Bible. For instance, in the 15th century, guess what happened? Man discovered that the earth is a sphere. But yet the Bible says in Isaiah 40, it is he that sitteth upon the circle of the earth. Sir Isaac Newton in 1687 discovered that the earth is suspended in space, but yet Job wrote many years ago, he stretcheth out the north over the empty place and hangeth the earth upon nothing. The Bible talks about and claims that the number of the stars in the sky are innumerable, but yet Jeremiah said, as the host of heaven cannot be numbered. Neither the sand of the sea measured, so will I multiply the seed of David my servant and the Levites that minister unto me. Do you know that long before medicine and some of the other measures that are now in place, the Bible contained rules regarding cleanliness? If you go back to the book of Leviticus, the Bible says in chapter 13, All the days wherein the plague shall be in him, he shall be defiled. He is unclean. He shall dwell alone. Without the camp shall his habitation be. Folks, look, all of these and many others, they show the superiority of God's word. The Bible can be trusted. 
Notice another test is the prophecy test that the Bible is passed. Look, when you search the scriptures, here's what you'll find. You'll find thousands of prophecies that are predicted in the Word of God. For instance, Isaiah said, uh, mentioned Cyrus, the Persian king, by name, 125 years before Cyrus was ever born. You also find that as you search the Bible, there are many prophecies that were given in relation to the Lord Jesus Christ. And I'll go through some of these, and listen, there are so many others, but just to show you some of the prophecies about Jesus. Micah said that he would be born in Bethlehem. Isaiah said that he would be preceded by a forerunner. Zechariah said that he would enter Jerusalem on a colt. Daniel prophesied the exact day that Jesus would enter into Jerusalem hundreds of years before he ever did. David wrote in Psalm 41 that Jesus would be betrayed by a friend. He said that his hands and feet would be pierced. Zechariah said that he would be betrayed for 30 pieces of silver. Isaiah said that he would be spit upon and beaten and that he would be silent before his accusers. He would be crucified with thieves. His side would be pierced. No bone in his body would be broken. His body would not see corruption. That he would be buried in the tomb of a rich man. And Amos prophesied that darkness would cover the earth. Folks, listen. All of these prophecies and so many more, as somebody said, if you calculated the odds of just these prophecies coming to pass, the chances are one chance in 480 billion times one uh, billion times one trillion. Just to give you an idea, notice that's the number 480 with 30 zeros after it. The chances of just one of these prophecies. But can I tell you that every one of these prophecies have come true? And not only these, but so many more. See, the odds are that the Bible can be trusted. See, the Bible has passed the historical archaeological test. The Bible has passed the scientific test. The Bible has passed the prophecy test. The Bible, notice letter D, passes the unity test. I love this. What God begins, God finishes. See, unlike us, a lot of times we start things, we don't finish it. But when you go to the book of Genesis, notice the very first chapter, very first verse in your Bible, look what it says. It says, in the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. Now, even though the Bible took over 1,500 years to write, notice the last book of the Bible, Revelation 21, 1. And I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth were passed away and there was no more sea. If you go back to Genesis chapter 2, in verse 22, the Bible says, The rib which the Lord God had taken from man made he a woman and brought her unto the man. If you go to Revelation 21, There came unto me one of the seven angels, which had the seven vials full of the last seven plagues, and and talked with me, saying, Come hither, I will show thee the bride, the lamb's wife. See, the Bible, you know what it is? It is one unfolding story from beginning to end. This could not have been duplicated. There is no human work that comes anywhere close to the Bible. The Bible can be trusted even in this matter of unity, but notice it also passes the honesty test. I think about this, how the Bible, look, if the Bible was a human book, 
watch this, it would gloss over or cover up the failures of man. What is man's human nature? When we sin, we try to conceal it. We try to hide it. If this was a book of man, then there are a lot of things we would have never found out about, but yet the Bible is God's word. So notice the Bible does not hide Noah's drunkenness. It does not hide Samson's lust. It does not hide David's adultery, Elijah's depression. It does not hide Peter's denial because God's word is honest. It tells the truth from cover to cover. The Bible can be trusted, and it's passed every test that it has been put to, and it has passed those tests with flying colors. No human book could ever accomplish what the Bible has. And all of this and so much more, again, what is it? Positive proof that the Bible is God's perfect word. See, it's God's perfect word because of the process. It's God's perfect word because of the proofs. And then notice it is also God's perfect word because of the product of it. You see, when you look at the Bible, guess what you see is you see God's fingerprints all over the word of God. Everywhere you turn. If we accept the Bible as the inspired word of God, then what does that teach us? Well, I want to give you in closing this morning three proofs, three precious truths that we must never take for granted that are the product of God's word. Notice the first one is God's word is infallible. Now, again, this may be a new word to some of you, and here it is. What does that mean? God's word is incapable of error. Now, what is the Bible? The Bible is God's written word. Well, remember what Jesus, when he was on this earth, Jesus was God's word in the flesh. He's the Lagos. Remember what the Bible says about Jesus, that there was no sin in him. Jesus was impeccable. There was no guile in him. Jesus could not have sinned. And all God's people said, amen, right? Now watch this. If Jesus was incapable of error, and he was the word in the flesh, then God's written word is also infallible. It is incapable of error. There's not one mistake, not one contradiction in the word of God. It is never wrong. It is absolutely trustworthy. Peter said we have a more sure word of prophecy. Look, everything in the Bible says, everything the Bible says is truth. Everything that the Bible promises, as Joshua said in his day, will come to pass. And we need to understand the scriptures are perfect in every sense. They are a perfect revelation of the mind of God to man. See, the scriptures, the Bible is infallible. But notice also, it is also inerrant. Now, there's a difference between infallibility and inerrancy. Because to be infallible means it's incapable of error. Now watch the difference. Inerrancy is that all the facts, all the events that are in the Bible, they are recorded accurately. They are recorded truthfully. 
I'm going to go as far as, now listen, don't misunderstand what I'm about to say. There are lies in the Bible. But they are recorded accurately. For instance, Ananias and Sapphira, they lied. Is that true? They lied to God. Now understand that as God has given his word, God's word is inerrant, meaning that, that it is recorded Every event, everything that happened, all the facts are recorded accurately. They're recorded truthfully. And we need to understand this as we study the Bible. When people say today, and many of them do, they claim that the Bible contains errors. They, compl- they claim that the Bible can- contains mistakes. You know, when people talk that way, you know what they're really doing? They're calling into question the very character of our God. Let me give you an example of infallibility and inerrancy. Look there in your notes or in your Bible in in Luke chapter number two, and let me give you a little background before we look at these verses. Do you remember how Jesus as a boy, Jesus went in with his family into the city of Jerusalem for the feast, and his family left the city, and the Bible says they went a day's journey, and then they realized that Jesus wasn't with them. You with me? You remember the story? And remember how all of a sudden they started frantically looking around? I think I would have been a little upset too because they lost God. You know, just think about that. I mean, it's one thing to lose your kid. It's another thing to lose God. And they couldn't find Jesus anywhere. So the Bible says they went back to where they were in the city and they found him where? In the temple. You know where Jesus was? He was in church just like you. And that's the passage that we're going to look at. Now look at verse 48. The Bible says, And when they saw him, this is his mother and father, Mary and Joseph, and when they saw him, they were what? Now listen, doesn't that strike you funny? Had Mary forgotten, had Joseph forgotten that quickly that Jesus was God in the flesh? Had she forgotten that They had no physical relationship, and he was conceived of the Holy Ghost, and here they are, and they're amazed. Look, look at me. I know that our God is a wonder-working God, but if we really believe that he is who he says he is, then why should we be amazed with anything God does? Are you with me? God can do anything, right? God can do exceedingly abundantly above anything we even ask or think. And the Bible says, here they are, they come back into town, and he's in church. And the Bible says they're amazed. Now look at the verse, look look right there. It says they were amazed, and his mother, Mary, said unto him, Son, why hast thus Thou dost dealt with us. In other words, why did you put us through this? Why, why did you make this happen? Now, there were, remember, God does everything on purpose. She says, why have you thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. And he said unto them, how is it that ye sought me? Wist ye not, or don't you know that I must be about my father's business. 
In other words, why do you think it's strange that you found me where you found me? Now, there's, we're talking about this matter of the inerrancy and the infallibility of the Scriptures. That God's Word is incapable of error and that God's Word is recorded accurately. You with me? Now, now we just read those verses. There's one word that's in verse 48 and one word that's in 49. It's the same word. Do you see the word Father? Now, look at verse 48. Notice what his mother says. Why hast thou thus dealt with us? Behold, thy father and I have sought thee sorrowing. Was Joseph Jesus' father? He wasn't. Now, he was in the role of Jesus' father, but he was not Jesus' father. But notice she says, your father and I have sought you, sought you sorrowing. But notice what Jesus says to them in verse 49. Wish ye not that I must be about my what? Father's business. Now, do you notice the first father is a little f and the second father is a capital F? See, God's word is incapable of error. And God's word is recorded accurately and truthfully. Now, see, God's Word is infallible. God's Word is inerrant, but notice it's also intact. I want you to see this. Notice how complete the Word of God is, how perfect it is. Who did God use to record the last book of the Bible? John, right? Now, the last book of the Bible, at the turn of the century, when John finished with the revelation that God gave him, and he was writing it down, the inspiration, when John laid his pen down. From that time till today, there has been no other scripture, no other words that have been given by God. That's, that's all that God has given to us, not a single word that has been given since then, since John laid his pen down. Now, I want you to notice what the Bible says in Deuteronomy chapter 4. Look at this. Ye shall not add unto the word which I command you, neither shall you diminish aught from it. The Bible says that you may keep the commandment of the Lord your God, which I command you. So notice the Bible says we should not add to it. Why? Because it's perfect. It's complete. It's intact. There's not one thing that we should add to or take away from or diminish from it. Is that what the Bible says? Now, that's in the Old Testament. Some people say, well, listen, that's Old Testament times. Well, let me show you in the New Testament, the last book of the Revelation. Notice John wrote, and I testify unto you, every man that heareth the words of this prophecy of this book, if any man shall add unto these things, God shall add unto him the plagues that are written in this book. And if any man shall take away from the words of the book of this prophecy, God shall take away his part out of the book of life and out of the holy city and from the things which are written in this book. In other words, God said the same thing in Revelation that he said in Deuteronomy is, listen, my word is complete. My word is final. Don't add anything to it. Don't take anything away from it. So God finished his scriptures, and what you and I hold in our hands today is the perfect and complete revelation of God. And as we think about this, 
When we read our Bible, what are we reading? We're reading the very words of God. And you and I can base our faith on that. We can base our eternity on that. Look, God's word will never fail us. And we need to understand this morning that God's word should never be altered. God's word should never be changed. God's word doesn't need to be updated. And yet, what do we find today? There are over hundreds of different Bible versions in the world today. Can I tell you, that is not of God, that is of man. Because God is not the author of confusion. God has given us his word and God has promised that he has preserved it unto our generation. But listen, the Bible is still the best-selling book of all time. So you know what man is doing? Man is merchandising the word of God and man is confusing people. And by the way, the devil loves to confuse people. And we see that God, again, is a God of order, not a God of confusion. Folks, listen, this morning, as we begin this month, you ought to be proud that you hold a copy of God's perfect word in your hands, that you can read it, you can study it. I know this morning that this message, maybe for some, might have been a little bit too much academic, but it is a Bible message. It helps us to understand and further anchor our faith in the blessed word of God. Again, I don't know about you, but I'm glad that I have God's word. And I hope you are too. There may be some out here this morning that maybe as we've heard from God's word, that maybe God by his spirit has illumined you and helped you to understand this morning that you don't know Christ as your Savior. The Bible says today is the day of salvation. For whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. God's maybe helped you understand this morning that you've been saved, but you've never been scripturally baptized. The Bible clearly says that they that gladly received his word were baptized. Maybe, maybe God's showing you this morning by his spirit that you need to be baptized. Maybe it's this matter of that you're saved and baptized and you're not part of a body of believers. And again, the scriptures teach that there were added unto them about 3,000 souls that maybe today God is showing you by his spirit that he wants you to be a part of this church, that you can worship him and serve him. Listen, there might be some out here, some listening, that all of us at times are guilty of neglecting our Bibles. But what do we need to remember? Well, the Bible says in Psalm 19, the law of the Lord is perfect, converting all. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. Would you bow your heads with me this morning with our heads bowed and our eyes closed this morning? The message, there was a lot this morning. I wonder if you know the Lord as your Savior. How many of you by an upraised hand could say, Pastor, I've had a time that I've trusted Christ as my Savior. And by raising my hand, it's a testimony of my salvation. Would you raise your hand if you're saved today? I see hands all over the auditorium, people that have put their faith in Christ. And we praise God for that. How many of you this morning maybe feel like that there's been some time in my life, maybe even right now, I've hit a dry spell. I've been neglecting my Bible. 
I don't view the Bible the way I used to. I think we all are guilty from time to time of it just becomes another book. How many of you would say, I need to rekindle that, the flame of God's word in my heart today. Would you slip your hand up? God help me this morning that I need to get back to my Bible. Would you stand to your feet this morning as the invitation begins and the piano plays? Brother Kenny begins to sing. If you need to be saved, why don't you come? We'll take the Bible and show you how you can know that heaven would be your home. Oh, if you are here this morning and you are saved, why don't you come to the altar this morning and let's do something different. Why don't you bring your Bible with you? Bring your Bible with you. Bring it to God and say, Lord, help me to get deeper into this, to love you the way that I should. Whatever your need is this morning, the altar's open as Brother Kenny sings.